Samuel chapter number 24. 2 Samuel chapter number 24. Thank you so much, Miss Cindy, for that song. I'm glad that he forgives, aren't you? Although my feelings are a little hurt, uh, you haven't been able to play. All you had to do was ask me to play if you've wanted to sing that song. I mean, uh, lack of confidence, you know. Second uh, Samuel chapter number 24 this morning in verse number 18. I want to preach to you for just a little bit uh, from the story that this, this portion of the Scripture tells. But I'm glad as we enter into this and we read this that we serve a God that's able... Uh, the only true God that there is, that He's still able to do all of those things and that He's still willing to forgive sinners like you and me after all that we've done. And that He's not any less gracious and He's not any less good than He's been all of the time. And uh, we have all of the reason in the world to praise Him and to lift our voices to Him. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, we read of one of the sins that David committed. And I would submit this morning that it's probably one of David's greatest sins that he had ever committed in his life. And as you're finding your place there, I'll say I really didn't want to preach this sermon today. Uh, but God brought my attention to this text throughout this week by different reasons. And as He did, and I read this text, God brought great conviction to my own heart. And He challenged me about some things that in my life. He challenged me about some things that, that I do or that I don't do. And, and I know this morning as I preach this message that I'm likely to say something that may challenge you or bother you. And you may uh, at first say, uh, you're in my business or you shouldn't talk about that or whatever it may be. But I would ask you to do me one favor this morning. I try not to ask you to do this too often for this reason anyway. But just to set me to the side, alright? Uh, and don't don't listen to me and don't take whatever I say today as Levi trying to point this out in your life or that. But that you would just open your heart to whatever it is that God needs to say to you this morning. And if something is said and you say, well, that's not for me, that's between you and the Lord today, all right? And you, you take that up with Him, but maybe there is something that you need to hear. And maybe there is a challenge that you need like I needed as well. And maybe you need conviction like I need as well. I'm certain of this today, that we need nothing more than we need to hear from God in our life. That there's nothing else in this world that we can get. There's nothing else that is going on that is more important than the child of God hearing from heaven today. You can hear from men. You can hear from women. You can hear from all other types of people. But we need God to speak to our hearts. But in order to get what God wants us to get, we not only have to listen, we have to be receptive of what God says. And we have to be willing to take what God says and apply it accordingly to the way in our life that God wants to do. Now in this text that I'm going to read to you in a moment, this chapter that we're going to be looking at today, there, there's the greatest sin I believe that David committed. We see the sin in the first portion of the chapter. And when we think about David's sin, one of the things that we think about right away is we think about David committing adultery with Bathsheba. And we think that's got to be one of the worst sins that David ever committed is when he laid with Bathsheba and then he had Uriah killed. And, and how terrible of a sin and of an action that that was. But can I say, the sin that David committed in this chapter was just as bad, it was just as defiant, and it was just as disobedient as the sin that he had committed in other parts of his life as well. David had been warned multiple times not to number the army. Don't number the soldiers that you have. And you say, well, that seems like a silly thing. 
That, that seems like something any military leader would ever do is number the amount of soldiers that he had. But here's the thing. God did not want David's confidence to be in the size of his army. He wanted his confidence and his faith and everything to be in the size of God. And so God said, you don't worry about how many you have. You don't take number of all of those. You don't count all of those. You just trust me to provide the amount of men that you need at the right amount of time. But you know what David did? David got it in his head that he needed to know how many men that he had in his army. And so David sent his servant and said, go number the people. And his servant said, listen, God has warned us not to do that. But David still insisted that he get a count of the soldiers that he had. And you say, well, I can't believe that God looked at that and thought that that was that big of a sin. Can I say today that every sin is a big sin? We like to look and say, well, this is big sin and that's small sin. No, there's no such thing. People will say there's no such thing as big sin and little sin. That's wrong. There's no such thing as little sin. It's all big sin, okay? It's all big. It's all bad. It's all terrible. Every sin that we've ever committed, whether you think God should think it is a sin, whether you think it's bad or not, it's sin at the end of the day. And what David was doing in this chapter is David was removing his confidence from the size and the strength of God. And he was placing it in the size and the strength of his army. And that, my friend, is one of the worst things that we can do as a believer. That is one of the worst decisions that we can ever make is to place our confidence in what we can see instead of on Him who we can't see. You see, it is not my faith that makes me able to do things. You say, well, that person has big faith and that person has small faith. My friend, what makes the difference is the one who our faith is in. It is not the size of anything that we have. It is not what we possess. It is the God that we serve that is able. And when David was taking the, making this decision to count his army, he was sinning against the Lord. And let me just emphasize again that every sin, big or small in the eyes of man, Great or insignificant in the eyes of man is great in the eyes of God. Every sin that you could ever commit. We live in a society today, we live in a world that wants to treat sin very loose, take sin very lightly, act like sin is not really that big of a deal. Well, this sin is not as bad as that sin and I don't do this and I don't do all of those things. But I'm here to tell you today, that God hates sin today as much as God has ever hated sin. God has not grown okay with sin. God, God has not grown any more tolerable of sin. God looks at sin the day, today the same way that He's ever looked at sin. He hates it. You say, well, preacher, God loves everybody. I wouldn't argue with you one bit on that, that God loves everybody. He loves every person that there is, whether no matter what is going on in their life. But one thing that the Christian and the church today needs to get rid of in the mindset that we need to lose is that God is okay with sin, alright? God's not okay with it. God doesn't tolerate it. God doesn't accept it. It doesn't matter if you came to church on Sunday morning. Sin still sin and God hates it in your life and He hates it in my life. And it's time that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in 
and Christians that are born again that we quit taking sin so lightly and we get to the place in our life that we hate it too. And that we hate everything about it. We, we look at the word hate and we think how strong of a word that is and how rude of a word that is. Friend, it was that sin that placed Jesus on the cross at Calvary. It was that sin that caused those whips to come on His body. It was that sin that pierced His hands with those nails. The very sin that we say is not big of a, that big of a deal. The very sin that we justify on Friday night and Saturday night and any other day of the week because oh, well I'm a Christian on Sunday. Friend, God hates that sin just like He hated the sin of David that day. He has not grown any more tolerable of sin today and we would do well to recognize that all sin is serious. Mine is just as serious as the next person. And yours is is just as serious as the person beside you today. Every sin is a terrible sin. David committed one. Notice the second thing before I read our text is the sickness that came. If you go back and you study out this scripture when David counted his army and he sinned against God in that way God sent word to David and said you need to choose three consequences one of three consequences David he sent by the word of a prophet and he said listen three one of three things are going to happen there's going to be seven years of famine there's going to be three months of the enemy chasing you or there's going to be three days of pestilence. David, you get to choose the consequence for the sin that you have committed. And David paused and David said, you know what? Send the three days of pestilence for this reason. He said, I would rather fall into the hands of God than I would into the hands of men because the mercies of God are great. David knew that all throughout my life, all of the sins that I've ever committed, the one hope that I've ever had is the mercy of God. It is only by His mercy. And can I just pause and say this morning, if it were not for the mercies of God today, that you and I would be destroyed a long time ago. We should have been destroyed. We could have been destroyed. But thankfully, when the wrath of God was coming down because of the sins of man, the hand of mercy intercepted the wrath of God and spared us from what we deserve. And it is only by the mercy of God that we have been spared from those things. Friend, it's not because of anything that we have done. It is all because of the goodness of God and His mercies. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies endure forever and ever. And David understood the only hope that I've got is the mercy of God. And friend, the only hope that you have is the mercy of God. David told the prophet though, David said, listen, here's the one I choose, the pestilence. He said the three days worth of pestilence. And you know what happened? And you go back and you look, 70,000 men died. Can you imagine that? 70,000 in three days. In three days, a pestilence has come and the sickness has just ravaged through the homes. It has just ravaged through the families. It has spread among all of the people. And in that short amount of time, 70,000 people have died. What a, what a tremendous sickness that has entered this land. Can I submit to you today that we have a sickness in this land as well today? There is a great sickness that is going on in the land around you and I today. It is spreading like wildfire. It is snatching and stealing away people today. It is ruining lives. It is destroying families. It is crippling churches. It is. It doesn't care whether people are young or old, whether they are poor, whether they are rich, whatever it may be. It does not care. It is ruining everything 
and the sickness that we have in this land, it is not a sickness that is one uh, of COVID or the flu or any of those things. You say, preacher, all of that is serious. Yes, but understand this. None of that measures up to the sickness that sin has brought into this world today. And it's continuing to bring it in. It's continuing to ruin lives. And there's nothing that we can do to prevent it on our own. There's nothing that we can do to stop it. We are living today in an apostate culture that disregards God and His Word. The devil is filling the minds of people with all sorts of lies in the culture that we live in today. Alcohol is ruining people's life on a daily basis. It is crippling the mind of people. It is setting young people on the wrong track. It's breaking up homes and families and ruining testimonies and churches. Drugs are rampant and they are all too are stealing the minds of people. We look at all of the sins that are going on in the world around us that are tolerated, accepted, promoted. We look at what the great minds of our country they, they, that lead this country and you look at the things that they are arguing about and the things that they are divided about. You look at the things that are, go across the headline news and everything that is going on and what you will see is this, that sin has struck our country in a great way, hasn't it? It has crippled it in a way. You say, well, preacher, sin has always been. Indeed, it has always been. But now it is not only existent, but it is promoted in every form that it can possibly be promoted. It is tolerated and is accepted and not only by the news media. Here's the thing. Not only by social media. Not only by the news, not only by the news network. Not only by Hollywood. Not only by every TV sitcom that you ever watch and commercial that comes across it. We look at that and we think, man, how bad all of that is. Can I say the worst place that has accepted sin is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've tolerated it. We've accepted it. We've allowed it to be okay. And we said it's not really that big of a deal. And we want to blame everybody else. But know this, it's my sin and your sin that is crippling the society that we live in. We look at this text. Look with me. 2 Samuel chapter number 24. And I want you to actually look in verse number 17. You see the sin that David committed. We see the sickness that came about it. And I could just imagine David being broken over this. That David hears of 70,000 men that have died. And in verse number 17, David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. And I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Now you know as well as I do, David wasn't the only one that had sinned in that time period. Every person in that city, that country had sinned. But David did something that people don't want to do today. David took responsibility for his sin. And David said, you know what? I'm the one. It's my sin. It's not everybody else's sin, alright? It's not everybody else's fault. It's not all of the other wicked people that are out there. But he said, God, do it unto me because it's, it's my fault. It's my sin. I've done these things. And David was willing to own up to all of those things that he had done. You know what the Christian wants to do today, the average Christian? We want to pass it on to somebody else, don't we? And we want to say, well, you know whose sin it is? It's the world's sin. They're crippling our country. They're killing our world. They're destroying everything because of what they're doing. I say today, if you don't see your sin as serious as the world's sin, then you've got a vision problem today. Because your sin is just as detrimental to the work of the Lord as anybody else's sin. And David looked at himself and he said, Lord, it's me. Do it to me, Lord, and spare them. How many of you are willing to pray this morning? How many of us are willing to pray? Lord, it's me. 
Spare, spare them and do it to me, Lord. Don't take it out on everybody else, but Lord, take my sin and what I've committed and Lord, put that on me and not everybody else. David was willing to pray that prayer, but notice the solution. You see the, you see the sin and the sickness. Here's what I want to call your attention to this morning for just a little while. Verse number 18, And Gad came that day to David. And he said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king and his face on the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said unto David, Let my lord the king take an offer uh, up and up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, there be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of oxen for wood. All these things did Aruna as a king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. You want to know what the solution was? The solution was that one person would go to the altar of the Lord and offer up sacrifices unto God as a way of interceding on behalf of all that was going on to beg for the mercy and the forgiveness and the healing of God on that land. And when the offering was made and the sacrifice was received, it was then that God prevented the plague and God stopped the plague that was going on on the land. You say, well, what's going to help the plague today? What is it that is going to be a solution for the sickness that is going on in the country that we live in. It's not going to be found in a laboratory. It's not going to be found in a classroom. It's not going to be discovered at the meeting of the minds. But my friend, the solution that we stand in need of today is going to be found at the altar of the Lord. That is where the solution is waiting for God's people to finally come to the place where we realize that our greatest resource, our greatest strength, our greatest ability is going to come when we fall on our faces before the Lord Jesus Christ and beg for God to show mercy on the land that we live in. We can talk about it and we can gossip about it and we can discuss it, but until we are willing to find a place and fall on our face and pray about it, then I doubt we see the solution come to place. I doubt we see the work of God come in and, and heal the land and forgive the sin and bring great revival. You say, but preacher, I've been praying. I've been praying for our country and I've been praying for our church and I go to church and I try to do right and all of these other things. You know what I would submit to you this morning that we have? We have an altar problem is what we have. You say, what kind of altar problem we got? What do you mean we have an altar problem? I want you to look at what David said here. David shows up to Aruna and you know what Aruna says? Aruna, he says, listen, David, you can have the threshing floor. You can have the oxen. You can have everything that I got, David. I'll give it to you. And you know what most of us would have done? We would have said, Whoa, praise the Lord, what a blessing. He gave that to me for free. I'm going to use that. I don't have to pay anything. Talk about an open door for the, from the Lord and give God praise and take it. You know what David said? David said, I'm buying that. 
David said, listen, I'm not going to offer up to God anything that didn't cost me something. I'm not going to offer up to God something that cost me absolutely nothing at all in any way. So that's not happening because David believed that God was worthy. He was more worthy of a free offering. He was more worthy than cheap service. He believed that God was worthy of the very best that he could give to him. And David refused to take that which was free and give that to God like he had done something special. He said, here's the money. Listen, I'm buying that because the God that I serve is worthy than more than cheap service that I can offer to Him. And you want to know the problem that we have today is that the majority of us as Christians are giving God nothing. We were giving Him cheap service in every way. And we want God to do something with that which costs us nothing. We say, God bless this, but it didn't cost me anything. We give Him the very least of all that we have. Would you agree this morning that God is worthy of the very best that we have? He's worthy of all that we could give. I mean everything down to the last dollar that we'll ever have. He's worthy of it all in that way. And David said, listen, I'm not offering up to my God that which costs me nothing. You want to know what will do us well is when we get the highest view of God that we could possibly get. What we want to do in this culture is we want to bring God down We say, well, I want people to be able to relate to Him. Listen, nobody relates to God, okay? Nobody relates to God in their sinful... You're not going to bring God low enough down to relate to sinful man. That's what Jesus did, All right, He came in the form of man, in the form of a servant, and died on the old rugged cross so that man would have a way to relate to God. But it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not through lowering the standards of God. It's not through making God less than what He is. Listen, the greatest thing that we can do is lift up Jesus as high as we possibly can because He's the greatest that there is and what we do and how we do that is by offering to Him everything that we have and saying, Lord, I'm going to give it all to You. I'm not going to give You something that didn't cost me anything. What kind of offering is that? Yeah, I don't have birthday parties anymore. My mom made me quit at 13 years old for some reason. I guess she didn't, didn't like me. I don't know. But you know how I would feel if I had a birthday party and my friend came and said, boy, I got this, this great gift, Brother Bobby. And it was the same birthday gift that he got at his and he didn't like it. And so he just gave it to me. And some of y'all aren't laughing because that's what y'all do at Christmas, all right? And y'all are afraid to laugh about that. But here's the thing. How does that person really feel? You didn't give them anything. You didn't do anything. You literally took what was given to you and gave it to them because you didn't want to spend any money on them. All right? And it's one thing to do that for somebody, but to do that to God is not right. He deserves more than that. And David said, listen, I'm not going to take your ground, your oxen, and offer them to God like I did something great. He said, I'm going to buy it because my God deserves that. And God blessed that. And when David built that altar and David made that offering, the Bible says that the plague was stayed. It was done. And God responded to the offering that David was willing to make because it was everything. It was more than just sliding by with a free gift, but David was willing to sacrifice. You say, well, why isn't God moving today? I'm convinced that the reason God isn't moving today is because most of what we offer to God costs us nothing. And we're expecting God to do something with that. Most of what we give to God is cheap. It's the leftovers. It was the easy stuff. So what are you talking about? Let me just give you four areas and I'll, I'll be done. Of areas that, that we offer to God that seem to cost us nothing in our life. It seems oftentimes that our worship costs us nothing. It seems oftentimes that the worship that we offer to God, was, I mean, it was nothing at all. It didn't, it didn't take much from us. You say, preacher, I had a lot of things that I could do today. And that's how we start right there. 
Lord, I gave up so much to be here. Lord, I, I mean, think about all of the wonderful things that I've done to be able to be in this place for this one hour out of the whole week that I have. God, aren't I some awesome Christian because I showed up and I was here at service. Friend, if this is the only thing that we've done in the sense of worship, we have offered to God that which cost us nothing. And we didn't do anything for this, alright? This was just one hour of our day. It's cost us nothing. And many times we won't even prioritize it in our life. And then we wonder why isn't God moving? Because we've only offered to God cheap things. And God deserves more than that. We've offered to God that which costs us very little. We do show up. We do show up and we put very little into it. We put very little into our worship. We put very little into lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved us from the very pits of hell. And we want God to be pleased with that. Lord, look at what I've done for you, friend. We've done nothing for Him. We've done nothing that is exceptional. We've done nothing that is above that which we should be doing. It is all reasonable service in the eyes of the Lord. Even when we do the very most, we just go through the motions so often. We just kind of play church. We play worship. We play services. We mark it off of our religious obligation box and we say, Lord, send me a blessing. Send me a blessing because I showed up and look at all that I did for you. David said, listen, I'm not taking that because it costs me nothing. I'm only going to offer to God that which cost me something. I think about Abraham. You're familiar with the story. In Genesis chapter number 22, God calls Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to go up to the land of Moriah. So Abraham gets up early the next day. That's a 60-mile hike from where Abraham's at. takes him about three days to get there. Abraham and his servants and his son, they go up to that land. They leave early that morning. They get there three days later. Abraham sees the mountain that God wants him to go offer Isaac on. You know what Abraham says? Abraham says to his servants, he said, y'all wait here. Me and the lad. He didn't say me and the lad are going yonder to sacrifice one another. He didn't say me and the lad are going yonder to fulfill our religious obligation that I have in order to make God happy and maybe catch a blessing. Abraham said, me and the lad are going yonder to worship. He said, I'm going up that mountain and I'm going to build an altar and I'm taking this wood and I'm going to bind my son and I'm going to lay him on the altar and I'm going to slay him because I'm going to worship the God of heaven. And he believed that's what he was doing in that moment and God blessed his sacrifice and God blessed his commitment and he spared Isaac and he provided a ram and he put Abraham in the the place on the track of receiving the blessings of God. But it wasn't until Abraham was willing to give the very the most precious thing that he had to God. You would agree with me this morning that there's nothing more precious in your hands than your children that you have. Abraham's been praying and praying and praying and waiting for that son. And God gives him a son and what's God say? Give him back to me. And Abraham calls that worship. And you know what we call worship? We call worship sitting on a pew. We call worship gathering in a building. We call worship when we listen to somebody preach for a little bit and then we leave and we say, well, I worship the Lord. And again, this is a worship service. We should be worshiping the Lord. But I would say worship requires more than sitting. And worship requires more than listening. Worship requires more than singing. Worship requires more than preaching. You can do all of those things and not worship at all, okay? Because worship is a matter of the heart when you have decided that God is worthy of every single thing that you have, no matter what it costs you. And that you refuse to offer God anything that costs you nothing. Because your God is more worthy than that. Your God deserves more than that. That's the kind of worship that we need in our church, in our personal life. is a worship that declares God 
to be so worthy that we would lay everything down at His feet, that we would give it all to Him. Not only does it seem our worship often costs us nothing, and I'll, I'll skip by some of these. I only got seven or eight of them, but I'll skip by some of them. Our, it seems oftentimes our prayer life costs us nothing. You know that's what David was doing here. David was interceding on behalf of his country to God. David was offering up this sacrifice to God on behalf of everybody around him and what they were going through and what they were enduring. And this is how David was going to reach the heart of God was through this offering and through this sacrifice so that God may see them and God may respond and God may show mercy. The same thing that we do in our prayers, but how often do our prayers cost us very little? How often do we just offer up to God very cheap prayers? very superficial prayers, very shallow prayers that we pray. And we want God to move when we pray in that way when really all that we offer to Him, it costs us nothing. I wonder this morning, when was the last time that you fell on your face and you prayed in such a way that it actually cost you something? I mean, it called, you, you got down on your face and you begged God for whatever was going on in your life. You didn't care what everybody thought. You didn't care how long it took you. It wasn't because you know you finished everything up. Then you thought, man, I'm going to pray on my way to work because I didn't leave the Lord near enough time before I got ready. And so I'm going to pray a real quick prayer before I hit the stop sign and get to McDonald's door to my drive-thru. You know, i got to get it all said and done before I get there. And Lord, I want you to respond in some way to that. That's a cheap prayer. That's a prayer that costs us nothing. And we want God to respond to those things. We want God to move in a mighty way when all that we have offered to God cost us absolutely nothing. Maybe it's time that as Christians we find a prayer closet that will actually cost us something. That we tear down the altar of convenience that we've built our life on and we rear up an altar of surrender and sacrifice and we offer up to prayers to God that will actually cost us something that aren't just cheap prayers that slide by and cut every corner when was the last time that you prayed about something that might actually cost you something you say well lord i pray for healing i pray for this i pray for that i pray for blessings on my life all of these wonderful things i wonder when the last time we prayed and we said lord here am i send me when was the last time that we prayed and it wasn't about getting, but it was about going and it wasn't about receiving, but it was about doing something for the Lord. And we said, here's my life, Lord. This is use me in whatever way that you want, no matter what it costs, Lord, I'm yours. I belong to you and I want you to use me in some way. You want God to move, then friend, we need to pray prayers that actually cost us something. I think about Hannah. You remember when she prayed and she was up there praying and well, the Bible says that she poured out her soul unto the Lord. I mean, she was she didn't care what the high priest thought. She didn't care what anybody around her. She was pouring out her soul unto the Lord because she was so burdened about it. I think about Elijah. Elijah prays that it doesn't rain. And you know what Elijah does after three and a half years? He goes up on the top of Mount Carmel and he doesn't say, Dear Lord, please send rain. Thank you. The, Elijah goes up on the top of Mount Carmel and the Bible says that he gets on his hands and his knees and he puts his head between his knees and he begins to beg God that God would send rain in the drought that they were having. And then today we expect God to listen and to answer and to respond to cheap prayers that we make. Friend, I'm not saying that God can't, but I'm saying that as people of God, we ought to want to offer up to Him prayers that actually cost us something. More than just cheap prayers. More than just shallow prayers. More than just memory prayers. More than just vain repetition. 
but prayers that are broken, prayers that are burdened, prayers that come from the very depths of our heart and our soul as we pour them out to Him because He's worthy of everything that we have. Paul would tell the church at Rome, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It seems oftentimes that our worship has cost us nothing. It seems oftentimes that our prayers have cost us nothing. And it seems oftentimes that our service to the Lord has really cost us nothing. You say, oh preacher, I'm doing, I'm doing a lot for the Lord. Look at all that I'm doing. I don't know about you. I, I thought about this yesterday, and I'll, I'll wrap up. I thought about this yesterday. I was up here for DeMario's ordination. And I got to thinking about seven years ago, and I was ordained here at Timson Missionary Baptist Church. And I came here as pastor, and things have been good, and the Lord's blessed. And all. And I was thinking about all the good things that God's done. But you know what happened? As I was sitting there and trying to think about all the good things that God's done, this wave of guilt or shame or whatever it might have been came over me. And I really think, I know the devil can do that, but I think God was reminding me of something that day. You know what God brought to my mind? All of the, all the blessings and all of those things brought to my mind, though, how many times that I've sat in that congregation and I've offered up cheap worship to God. It made me think about how many times I stood behind this pulpit after having seven, six, six, seven days to prepare a sermon to preach to people so that they might hear from God. And offered up a cheap sermon after he gave me all of that. How many times I, people said, Brother Levi, would you pray for me? And offered up cheap prayers for them. And I thought, God's been so good to me. And God has done so much for me. And then in return, you know what I oftentimes offer to him? The very least that I can possibly give to him and slide by and still be considered a Christian. I don't know about you, but the God that saved me from the very depths of hell and gave me a relationship through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and indwelt me with the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption is much more worthy than cheap service this morning. He's more worthy than sliding by. He's more worthy than just an hour here or an hour there. He's more worthy of just a religious obligation. But He's worthy of some Christians that will look around at the world they're living in and say it's falling apart, it's going down, it's crippling in all of these areas. But we'll say, I believe that there's a God in heaven that is full of mercy. I believe that there's a God in heaven that hears the prayers of His children and will find an altar and will fall at that altar and say, Lord, I'll give you everything that I have. I'm tired of offering to you that which costs me nothing, Lord. I want to be used of you. You're worthy of more than that, God. Do you really want to go the rest of your life only offering to God the very little things, the very cheap things, the very things that were easy and you were going to get rid of anyways? Or do you want to give to God something that He can use you and something that you'll be remembered for when you stand before Him one day? When you stand before the King one day and give an account of your life, I wonder what that, how that reckoning is going to go. What, what, the Lord, what the Lord has given to you, I'm afraid that many of us are like that third servant. You know what He did with that talent? He buried it. He buried it and He hid it and He did nothing. And you know how the Lord responded to him? The Lord said, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou wicked and slothful servant. There's one thing I don't want the Lord to say to me, and that's it, All right, I don't want the Lord to look at my life and say, You have been given everything to do so much for me. But all you actually offered to me was the little things and the cheap things. So unfortunately, that's how we get caught up. But you know this land that David purchased, that he purchased of Arunah, you know what would, that land would be later used for? It would be that very same piece of property that David purchased that day that Solomon would build the temple on. And I wonder this morning, 
if my children, if the only foundation that my children have to build on is that which cost me something, what I've done with the Lord, what have I left them? If the only thing that they're going to have to build on and do something for the Lord is going to be that which cost me something, have I given them anything to build their lives on? Am I leaving anything for the next generation? Or are we just giving cheap service to the Lord and we're just giving the very least that we can? Isn't God worthy of more than that? Isn't an altar that costs you nothing is going to produce nothing? So I want God to work in my life. Well, then you've got to tear down that altar that didn't cost you anything. You've got to get rid of that, that idea of giving God the least. And this morning we have to build up an altar that's going to cost us something. And we need to offer to the Lord our life. Present our bodies a living sacrifice so that God can use us in some way. The generation, the culture around you and me, they need us to be doing more for the Lord than just sliding by and just cutting every corner. Don't they stand in need? 70,000 men died. And David was broken by that. I wonder this morning how many Christians are broken by the plague that is going on in the world today because of sin. You can make a difference at the altar. You can make a difference in your prayer life. You can make a difference when you surrender all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? Stand with me. Let's sing.